We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 30 this morning. You can go ahead and open up to there in your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 30. I had the coolest chance encounter, I, I say chance with my tongue firmly embedded in my cheek, the coolest encounter, a, a God encounter yesterday at McDonald's of all places, um, and with a young man who's a missionary around the United States, a young black man who, as I'm walking by him toward the counter, um, I just noticed him, and, and, I, and I saw out of the corner of my eye, he had a Bible open on the table in front of him, and I just, I said, I said, hey, um, have a great day. And as I walked by, and he said, oh, yes, God bless you. And, and then when I came back by, and my family's all waiting out in the car, I come back by, and we ended up having like a half-hour conversation. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you more about him in, in just a minute. Um, but it was interesting. He, he said, he said what, what has the Lord put on your heart this season? What, what does he have you thinking about right now? And I, I, I'm like, well, I'm in Deuteronomy. <laughs> And, uh, and I explained to him a little bit about, you know, where we were at and stuff. But I just, it, it, was, it was fun just to say, I'm in Deuteronomy. I want to remind you all as we come toward the epic conclusion of this study in this book that this was one of Jesus' favorite books, that this is the one he quoted from when tempted. And, and more than that, that this, this book, this sermon of Moses for the most part and this teaching of the Word of God, this meant so much to Jesus himself, being his words spoken by Moses. And so it's a powerful and precious and, and, and very important to our faith today, even as it was 3,500 years ago. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. And this is where Moses is really now nailing down. He, he's landing the plane. He's bringing it in. This is where it all is coming to a head for him. And he says, for this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, well, who will go up to heaven for us, to get it for us, and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, well, who will cross the sea for us, to get it for us, and make us hear it that we may observe it? But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. And we observe it this morning, Lord, not because the Bible or these pages or these words have some kind of, Lord, mystical quality, although there is the supernatural here, spoken, Lord, by you through those you appointed to write it down. But we observe the word this morning, Lord, because it's yours. Because we know that even in your spoken word, there is life change. Because we believe, Lord, that you intend for us to know this, to absorb it, and to speak it out. And I just pray for simple clarity this morning by your Spirit, Lord, that you would teach us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, therefore, humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
Matthew 19, verse 13, said some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them, but Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. As who? As children. You receive the kingdom as a child. The kingdom belongs to such as children. Now, John Denver once sang about the wisdom of children. Of course, in the same song, he thought the flowers were our sisters and our brothers. That was the 60s. Okay, far out. But it's not because, and, and listen, because I've actually heard Christians get kind of hung up on this one. It's not because children have some innate wisdom. They don't. They're little idiots. I mean that with great love and affection. But they don't have a clue. They don't have, they don't come to us, you know, from the womb into the world. I am here to give you inspiration and understanding. They're kids. They're children. It is not because they're wise. And it's not because they're so innocent and pure either. All you need is five minutes with a toddler. You know there ain't no innocence there. No, that's not the deal. The kingdom belongs to such as these because, listen, because they receive it simply. It's simple. You say to a child, God is in heaven and he has a kingdom for us. Okay, and off they go to play. They just receive it simply. They believe it easily. Jesus even uses the word humble unless you humble yourself as this child. And the word humble translates unassuming, um, without pride, no guile. Okay, simple, simple. Psalm 133, or Psalm 131, forgive me. Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3, reads as follows. One of the shortest psalms. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child against his mother. My soul, that is my mind, all my thoughts, all that craziness that tends to plague us. My soul is like a weaned child within me. And then the psalm finishes this way. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Hope in the Lord like a child trusts in a parent. Hope in the Lord like a, a child rests against his mother. Hope in the Lord, Israel. Israel's closing its uh, borders again. I've just announced this, going to close in a couple of days here, and they're closing their borders for two weeks because of the big O, Omicron. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying I mean, they got to do what they got to do, politically, for the country, protection-wise, whatever. But when Israel once again hopes in the Lord, all Israel will be saved. I'm going to say that again. When Israel hopes in the Lord, all Israel will be saved. The point is to receive as a child. Stop hoping in yourself. Knock off the foolish pride. Stop overthinking it. Now, some come along and they would actually have you believe that the word of God is so mysteriously metaphorical, that it's so secretly symbolic that you actually have to have a Bible expert to teach it to you, and that's not true. This whole church fellowship could end, could go away, and you would have the same access to Jesus you have right now. 
the same ability to understand, the same opportunity to know him and to hear from him and to be engaged in his word. It's not some huge, mysterious thing. Think about the first advent of Jesus, which we're about to celebrate here over the next month. Jesus in his first coming, he didn't come as a king. He didn't come as a scholar. He didn't come as a warrior or a conquering hero. He came as a child, simple, quiet, unassuming. Isaiah 7, 14, the prophet told us he would. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew later tells us means God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the prophet said, for a child will be born to us. Now, if you were sitting in the Old Testament days in the Hebrew Scriptures reading and pouring over these things, some of these things would, yes, seem mysterious, would seem beyond comprehension, a little shadowy. Now, in our day, set aside romantic notions of the little town of Bethlehem. I've been to Bethlehem. Ain't nothing romantic about it. It's called one of the top ten most disappointing tourist spots in the world. Because people go there going, oh, little town of it. <laughs> it's not what you think. It's not the mystery. And I, you know, I get it, kids, with the, all the stuff that goes on at Christmas time, the mystery and everything. So, ooh, ee, ah, you know, and the whole idea of the, the fat man coming down the chimney is just still, I, I don't know how we ever came to that. But with all this, think about the most compelling thing, or at least one of the most compelling things about Christmas and the first advent of Jesus is the simplicity of Jesus born in humble Bethlehem. We miss the point of the story when we try to embellish it more than it is. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. Luke chapter 2, verse 12, this will be a sign for you. The angels sang or said as the shepherds looked up in awe. This will be a sign for you. Okay, wait for it. Here comes the awesome sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Simple. Luke 2.16 says they came in a hurry, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. See, the mystery was in the prophecy, but the fulfillment, which you and I know today, is filled with its, its humble simplicity. Simplicity. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, Moses, just prior to this passage we're looking at this morning, said, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of the law. Now the secret things, those are God's. The mysterious, the unknown. What Woods calls the unfathomable wisdom of God's creation and plan and election and grace as this relates to Israel's future in particular. These are God's concern. These are the things he knows. Rick, how can you say all Israel will be saved? How does that work? I don't fully know. I just know they will through faith in Jesus. That's the simple answer. The more complex, detailed, how's God going to make that all work out? That's his to know. He understands that, the hidden things. But that which is spoke by God, written down, expressed in Jesus Christ, the things revealed, as Moses said, these belong to us. These are for us. 
The things revealed are ours. Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. Proverbs 25, verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. All that to say that the things that are revealed to us, that are revealed for us, that are given to us, are not nearly as difficult as we make them. All it takes is faith, just faith. Verse 11 of Deuteronomy 30, Moses in his preaching says, this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. Not too difficult, literally not too wondrous. And not, nor out of reach, that means it's not distant. It's not remote. It's not beyond your grasp. It's not beyond you vertically, as in the heavens, or horizontally, as in across the seas. No, he says in verse 12, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. He says, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe, us, uh, observe it. Don't complicate it. Again, a simple message right now, and it's a simple message this morning, don't complicate it. You don't need a map to the stars. It's not rocket science. And you don't need a chart of the oceans. It's not nautical cartology. We don't need some cryptic seer to come with a, a vague message to bring us a strange book of inexplicable sayings and furtive messages that only he really understands. I think I've shared this with you before back in the early days of our fellowship. I think it was within the first year or so. A guy came out of nowhere, he and his wife, uh, driving in a, an RV, and he was kind of a self-proclaimed prophet. And he had a message. And oddly enough, the message involved the bridge, and it involved me and Les as part of this message. So we met with him one night to hear what it was that he was saying, and he was angling to come in. It really, as you listen to the message, he was angling to come in and just take over this fellowship. It was bizarre because he began to describe it and explain it and speak it out, and two hours he was just describing these intricacies, intricacies of this vision that he had that involved all, I'm not even gonna repeat the things that I remember of it, it was just too weird. But it got more and more and more complex. The, the longer he spoke, the more complex and, and every little nuance and aspect of this thing as he was describing it. And I'm like sitting there thinking, this guy is a great storyteller. But he's speaking things that are unverifiable. He's talking about things that, that they're just not, he's not even leaning on or, or referring to Scripture at all. I, I wasn't hearing Jesus' name mentioned a single time. And as he went on and on and on and on, I, I started realizing this guy's a charlatan. This is the false prophet about whom, or a false prophet about whom Jesus spoke. I don't know what ultimately happened to him, but after that evening, we just said, we're not taken. We're not buyers here. You know, and, and he and, and his wife, they ended up disappearing, going off somewhere else. I don't, I don't know. I've never heard another word about them. We don't need Confucius to say it or Buddha to sit on it. 
You know, we don't need Muhammad to ride off to a far, far away place and then go retrieve it for us or Lao Tzu to give me the Tao of Poo. We don't need these things. Our world chases these things. I don't need Joseph Smith to read it off a dinner plate. And I don't need Deepak Chopra for spiritual success or the Dalai Lama to bring me peace or Eckhart Tolle. I just think that's a great name, Eckhart. Bless you. Eckhart Tolle, I don't need to awaken my spirit. All these who come with this mystical message. I need God's word. I need the truth. My heart, my soul desires, hungers for the truth. The Apostle Paul one time wrote about someone that he knew. Okay, it was him. But this person was caught up to the third heaven and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you read that much of what Paul begins to describe and you go, whoa, ooh, check this out. Here comes the mystical. Here comes the awesome. This is going to be amazing. And then Paul says this, on behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weakness. For, I do, for if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. It's a fascinating section of Scripture because Paul is talking about there's, there's this spiritual experience that, that he himself had, that he himself under, was involved, was caught up in, and, and he gives two verses on it. And, and the reason is he's talking to Corinth, and Corinth is doubting him and questioning him, and he's trying to get the gospel to them. He's trying to bring the simple truth to them, and they're not listening to him. And so Paul says, look, I, I can talk about fantastic experiences. I can talk revelations to you. That's, that's easy. That's not what I'm going to do. That's not the message I have for you. He says, if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish. I will be speaking the truth. Then in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, <laughs> there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, Paul says, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. You would think if someone had a fantastic revelation like being caught up to heaven, that they could get healed of a little thorn in the flesh, that they could just call down powerful, wonderful, supernatural healing and, and it be done. But the Lord said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was focused on the plain truth of Jesus Christ, the saving word of Jesus, the gospel. Paul said, I could talk about these other things, but that wouldn't save anybody. That would just impress you with me, which would then make me powerless. No, I'm going to stay weak. I'm going to stay human, and I'm going to share the truth of Jesus. That's where the power is. That's where the wonder is. And the plain truth, the simple truth remains. Jesus Christ came down, as Jake so poignantly put it at, at, at communion. Jesus came down from heaven to us. That's it. He came to us. Why? To get the word of God across to us. 
to say there is a father who loves you. To show us what God looked like plainly, simply, and yes, spiritually. But when I say spiritual, I mean at the heart level. I've said many times over the years, we even take the word spiritual and make it esoteric. It's not. It's who you are. It's who you are at heart. Your spirit man, your spirit woman. It's who you really are. And that's where God wants to get. That's what Jesus wants. Your spirit, your heart. Give him your heart. The heart level. And Jesus even brought the, the plain truth even closer. I mean, he came in the flesh. He came to us. But as if that weren't enough, he said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm sending you my spirit to be with your spirit. Simple. I'll teach you. I'll walk with you. I'll give you confidence in terrifying times. I'll give you strength when you're weak. I will fill you up. 1 John 2, 27, and I love this verse. As a Bible teacher, this one's just a classic. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Good night. Have a great day. You don't need me. I don't need anyone to teach me. I have his spirit. At the end of the day, his anointing teaches you about all things, and it's true, it is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, some might still say, I'm not sure if I follow. Okay, so Moses makes it even more simple. Verse 14, he says, but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. And that's faith. The observation of his word in heart and in mouth. This is faith. Moses is coming to the conclusion of all of these things, and it's been a lot. Granted, we've been spending, we've spent the last three, three plus years in Torah. Genesis through Deuteronomy. There's a lot here, and we move through these things, and many of these things, I don't know if you've noticed this, but God has repeated again and again and again from different angles and in different ways that his people would get it, that they would understand it. But here at the end of it, Moses says, it's not hard. This is doable. The word is near you. And what it comes down to is not your observance of all these things perfectly. It comes down to your faith. The word's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart that you may observe it. He doesn't say observe it so that it can get into your heart. He says it's in your heart and in your mouth to do these things. That's faith. Simple as the word in your mouth, believed in the heart. So plainly practical. Let me put it as simply as I possibly can. Speak to believe. Speak to believe. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We, we, we speak to believe. What I speak reinforces, gives confidence to what I believe. Okay, my, my words confirm my faith. As we sing songs of worship, we sing these songs out, and what we're doing in part while we are giving praise and glory to God is we are confirming the faith within us. That's such a, the, the wonder and value of worship. We sing these songs and we go, yes, how great thou art. Oh, Lord, my God. When I an awesome wonder. 
You know, we sing amazing grace. We're singing our faith and we're confirming that faith. It's already in our hearts. It's in our hearts. It's in our mouth. And what we say by our mouth confirms what's in the heart. Speak to believe. So I'm in McDonald's and uh, the young man that I'm talking to, his name is Koran. That, kind of, that threw me a little bit. I, I, you know, we're, we're talking for a minute, and I said, well, I'm, I'm Rick. And he said, well, I'm Koran. And I went, you are, are you? That's interesting. Guy's got a Greek Bible open in front of him. His name's Koran. Well, his father was Muslim, but he became a follower of Jesus. And now what, what he does is he kind of travels the United States as a, as a homegrown missionary. He's from New York, and he just kind of goes all around and, and goes place to place where he feels like the Lord's leading him. It's a fascinating story. But as we began to talk, we started talking Scripture. We started talking truth. We started talking about Jesus, and it was amazing. The difference between Koran and the man I mentioned who showed up 17, 18 years ago, night and day, this guy was all mystery. Koran was just talking the truth of Jesus. It was wonderful. And I found a brother, and we're sitting, standing there in McDonald's talking, and people are walking by just looking at us, and we're having a great time together. And Koran kept saying something. And the reason I bring him back up again is this. He kept saying, glory be to God, with almost everything he said. Like he would say, well, I'm a missionary, and I travel the United States, glory be to God. You know, um, he'd say things like, yeah, everything I need has been provided for me, glory be to God. And over and over, he kept saying that. And I realized what he's doing is he's speaking to believe. He's doing what we all do when we know a truth that we continue to speak it, to confirm it to our own hearts. He was in his position as a follower of Jesus Christ, having given his life to Jesus, is wanting to be sure that he never takes the position of Jesus over himself. Glory be to God. He just kept saying that. And that's what I'm talking about. There are times, all the time we, we speak to believe as we speak out our faith in Jesus, our faith in our hearts increases. Which is why even in Bible reading, man, read it out loud. In prayer, speak it out loud. Let your mouth proclaim that your ears might hear and your heart be confident in what you know to be true in this word. We speak to believe. Moses says it is that simple as you proclaim, so your heart is changed. It's that simple. If you want this word to get into your heart, speak it with your mouth. Declare it. The word is meant to be spoken. Okay, isn't that a simple truth? The word is meant to be spoken. It is meant to be repeated. Job 23, verse 12. Job says, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So Job says, I will take in the word spoken by his mouth. But my question to you this morning, as it has been to myself this week, are the words of his mouth your words? Are the words that you hear from him the words that you speak about him? Because as we speak, so our faith grows and is strengthened. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 35, 28, my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. 
This is huge. If you're having a bad day, stop and think about the words coming out your mouth. That's probably part of the problem. And if we can shift gears and suddenly have his praise forever be on our lips, his word spoken by us. Man, just stop in the middle of a bad day, open your Bible and read a verse out loud. See what it does to your heart. You speak it and belief grows. The Bible, by the way, doesn't allow itself to be one of many spiritual messages. It declares itself to be the only one. So this isn't just about speaking out any old truth or any old word. Well, I'm going to speak it, therefore I believe it. Well, if it's not true, it's still not true even if you speak it. I'm talking about speaking out the truth. Talking about speaking God's word. The prophet Isaiah said, chapter 59, verse 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. He says, you need to speak the word and teach your children to speak the word and make sure your children are teaching their children to speak the word. Why, Lord? Because it brings faith. It ever increases simple faith in the Lord. What are the words of your mouth? What are the words that you speak? Are you just... Showing up here week in, week out to hear the word taught. Or do you speak the word yourself? Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Listen, if it's not coming out of your mouth, it's probably not changing your heart. A lot of people will sit in church and listen and it won't get past, what are those little, the hammer and the, the, the stuff in your head. It won't get past the ear. You hear it. You're hearing it right now. I, I, and this morning, first, second service, we're going to have people hear the word and walk out of here. And some will walk out of here unchanged. Speak it. You start speaking it. It's going to start changing you. Faith will grow in you. Find time, I encourage you and praise God, find time during the week to speak the word, to speak it out loud. Oh, well, like in McDonald's, like that guy? No, no, don't even start there. Just open your Bible at home and speak it out loud. Read the words of Jesus aloud and see what it does to you. And if we become accustomed to this. I mean, this is a very practical thing. Read the word. Memorize the word. Oh, I got to memorize scripture. Not, not because there's going to be a test. But yeah, find a verse that is deeply meaningful. Some words of Jesus and read them over and over until they get into your mind that you can speak them without even opening your Bible. And you will find your faith will increase. Speak the word. Moses says again, the word is very near you. How near, Moses? It's in your mouth. And it's in your heart that you may observe it. It's right here. All you got to do is speak. Verse 15. He says, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity. The word prosperity is literally tov. It's good. Life and good and death and adversity. Adversity is the Hebrew word ra. It's evil. 
So I've set before you life and good, death and evil. There it is. It's simple. It's absolutely simple. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where, the, where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess it. These are words to take to heart. We began Deuteronomy with that focus, words to take to heart. This is heart stuff that Moses is declaring here. And they are words of life and death, of good and of evil. And it is that simple. And the choice was before them, and the choice is before you and before me this very day. Life and good or death and evil, your call. Make the choice, the simple choice. I mean, think back. Go all the way back to the beginning. God established this. This very simple choice in the garden, a choice between, do you remember this? Two trees, a two-tree choice. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that's pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Down in verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. By the way, that would include the tree of life. You can eat all of this, and in the midst of that, the tree of life. And had Adam and Eve just chosen that, guess what? They would be alive on the earth today because the tree of life provided life. Life and good, that's your choice. Or there is this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, from that tree you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. It's a choice. Words of, of life and death. The choice remains, and that is basic Bible 101. Good, evil, life, death, your call. It's that simple. You decide. Don't complicate it. Again, don't make it harder than it is. Just know that God loves you and wants life for you. And that this choice has been here since the beginning. Some people in the church even deny choice. Now, I've had this conversation so many times over the year, over the years, the idea of choice. Wow. Yeah, no, if God's sovereign, truly sovereign, then he makes everything happen and we don't really have any choice at all. Okay, well, that means a loving God then intends certain people to be created to go to hell. That is not biblical. And by the way, Lack of choice is not biblical. Look at the two trees. God established choice by planting two trees. Right there, choice entered into the story. Choice, free will. You have the, the ability to choose one or the other, the Lord declared to Adam and Eve and declares to you and to me. Hey, well, what about God's sovereignty and his greatness? Well, yeah, that's true too. He knows which tree you're going to pick. He knows which way you're going to go. It doesn't mean that you don't have a choice. It just means he already knows what you're going to choose because that is sovereignty. Don't overthink this. It's very simple. Life and death, 
from the very beginning, and by the way, all the way to the very end when death itself is finally taken out. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. That's part of the reason why Christians can look at coronavirus and not be so fearful. Do we take it seriously? Yes. Do we care deeply for those of our fellowship who have been infected by this or attacked by this? Absolutely. Are we afraid of it? No. Why? Because death itself is going to die. Because death itself will be taken out. Revelation 21.4 then tells us he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be death and there will no longer be mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So let me simply ask you, do you want that? Do you want that promise? No more mourning? I mean, tell me honestly, is there anyone here who prefers mourning? I'm not talking about waking up. I'm talking about sadness and sorrow and grief and depression. Oh, I just love me some of that. Give me some extras, you know. Nobody wants that. We have the option of life and good. But again, it's life or death, and that's your call. Verse 19, Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your seed, he says, your descendants. It's interesting, old school Assyrian and Hittite treaties from ancient Near East texts often invoke in these treaties the gods of the heavens and the earth. There is usually an invocation, you can look, and there, these ancient treaties are available to look at from way back when, originally from the Hittites and then later the Assyrians, and you can see written into the treaties that they invoke the gods of heaven and earth as witnesses to the treaty. Who does God invoke? <laughs> he invokes his own creation. And that's what Moses is saying. I call heaven and earth to witness against you. I find this fascinating. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. That verse alone should shut up the whole idea that there is no God or that evolution is a thing, that the, we, we came out of this big bang and, and it's just calling, it all happened by chance. No, the heavens are telling the glory of God. All you got to do is look. It, it's, it's too precise. It's too remarkable. It's too designed to have happened by chance. But people, no, 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 okay, well, read on. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Walk around the planet, look at the design, look at the perfection of it, look at the way things work and function, seasons coming and going. And you tell me that this happened by chance. That's crazy. There's a witness here. The heavens and the earth witness to the glory of God. Now, Psalm 19, verse 3 says, there's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line goes out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. The word line there is their measuring line. In other words, all creation stands as quiet witness measuring our choices in the jury box of history. I call heaven and earth to witness today against you, Moses says. The heavens are watching. The earth is aware. Check this out. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope. See, there's the answer to someone who says, well, if, if, if God created things and it's all so wonderful and everything, how come we have flooding in western Washington? Because creation was subjected to the same futility that humanity was subjected to when sin entered the world. That what was created beautiful and perfect and astounding has become corrupted, which is the answer to all of the ills and evils that we face in the world today, including coronavirus. It's corruption. Because rather than choosing life and good, humanity chose sin and evil, death. And so this is what we see happening in the world. But the creation subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. What are you saying, Moses? Choose life. Lachayim. Choose life. And, and notice at the end of verse 19, he says, because this is, this is so that you may live, you and your descendants choose life, which means that every successive generation has the responsibility to choose life or death for themselves. It's simple. Well, how do I choose life, someone might say. Verse 20, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. For this is your life. And the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. This is your life. Man, just love the Lord your God. Obey his voice. Hold fast to him. I love that. You know, what I really appreciate about Moses is that like any good preacher, he speaks in threes. All the time. Notice up in verse 16, he says, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his statutes and commandments and, and judgments that you may live. And then again here in verse 20, love the Lord your God by obeying his voice and holding fast to him. This is your life. This is not hard. This is very, very simple. But now remember this. This was all done. This was all given to Israel as an example to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, Israel was an example to us. So we see how God interacted with them so that we can understand how God wants to interact with us. They're an example to us of a greater eternal truth. Love, obey, hold fast, don't complicate things. This is your life. You do have a part in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And these two commandments on these, the whole law depends which means if you'll do that, the rest of the law will find itself worked out in your life and obeyed. Love the Lord your God. This is your life. I love that Moses says, this is your life. He doesn't say, this is the way to a happy life or these are the principles of a good life. He says, this is life. The other choice is death. But this is life. John said in 1 John 5, 20, we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ, true God, eternal life. Once again, verse 14, but the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. 
That's simple truth. We could end right there. You know me better than that. We could end right there, but listen. Why, if it's so simple, do I waffle on the Word? Why do I struggle with the Scriptures? Why do I tune out truth in my life? Why do I ignore it and do stupid things and choose evil and and death rather than life? If it's so simple, why do I do this? Hey, even the answer to that is not complicated. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I love this. Paul, also very aware of, very knowledgeable of, very studied on Deuteronomy, Kadevarim. Paul preaches Christ by reaching into Deuteronomy. Listen to this, verse 4 of Romans chapter 10. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I, that is so cool. Not, not, I mean, we'll get to the statement. The statement itself is profound and amazing and exciting and wonderful. But, but it's so cool what Paul does. Do you see what he just did? He literally reaches to the end of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 30, to say that Christ is the end of the law. He takes from the end of the law to make the point. Christ is the end of the law. Where is Christ the end of the law? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. The word is in your mouth and in your heart. Christ the word. So the word here at the end of the law, Christ is the end of the law. And it's like Paul is getting ready to quote from, from Torah as he's writing to the church in Rome. And as he gets ready to quote, he realizes, <laughs> how cool, Jesus is right there. Where? At the end of the law. And he is in and of himself the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law. And in verse 5, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. And then he quotes Moses. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, now note this, it's a slightly different translation, isn't it? Because what Moses says is, who will ascend into the heavens to go get the word? And then he says, who will go, don't say to yourselves, who will go across the sea? Well, here Paul says, not across the sea, but descend into the depths. So why is there that contrast? Well, because Paul is using two verses. Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30 when he says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Then he's quoting from Psalm 107, verse 26, when he says, who will descend into the abyss? Because Paul is making a point, so he's drawing off of both these verses, kind of like I do in our our mega list of verses. He's drawing off of both of these, putting them together to make the greater point. So instead of beyond the sea, Psalm 107, verse 26, they rose up to the heavens, they went down to the depths and their soul melted away in their misery. You go searching for it at the top of the Himalayas, it's going to be miserable. You go trying to get up to the heavens or even down to the bottom of the sea or the bottom of the depths, you're going to spend your life looking for a truth that will evade you. It is so simple. 
Paul is freely quoting here from these two different verses to make a simple point, and that is this. Listen to it again, and I believe it's God's word for us this morning because it's been spoken now by two different people. Jesus is not distant from anyone. He is not far from you. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is that Jesus has forgotten me, Jesus has nothing to do with me, or I am so bad that Jesus is too far away, I can't get back to where he is, or I can't get to where he is. Jesus is not far from anyone. And then Paul goes for the throat. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, Paul says, the word of faith which we are preaching. Moses was a faith guy. Yeah, Moses brought the law, but he says you're not going to keep the law except by faith. That's the only way to keep the law is by trusting in the Lord. And Paul now draws off of that, goes for the throat. The word's in your mouth. See, he goes for the throat. I'm not trying to be tongue-in-cheek here. I'm really not. But, but chew on this for just a minute. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But what does Paul mean here? Because he says it's the word of faith. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which you, we are preaching. And this is something that's happened in the church that's gotten really messy. The word of faith. There's a whole word of faith movement. What does he mean by the word of faith. Well, read verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord. Take out the as. It, I, I don't know. It's very, it, it's in the Greek. It just says Jesus, Lord. Or Lord Jesus. If you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And now we're back to the end of the law. It's heart and mouth. Speak the word to believe the word. But again, it's not just any old word. It's not just whatever you want to speak. It is not as some claim and some have taught, name it and claim it. And, and this is actually kind of getting a little dusty because I've, I've talked about this for years. But there are those who still to this day say, if you claim something out loud... It's yours. You want that new house? Name it. Claim it. You want that purple Lamborghini? Name it. Claim it. It's yours. You get it. You just got to speak it out with faith. Well, what if I speak it out and it doesn't happen? Then you didn't have enough faith. I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, when that kind of self-righteous judgment enters into our language, that is not of the Lord. When you're made to feel bad because you don't have enough faith to make it happen. Faith is simple. Faith is trusting in Jesus that he is who he said he is and that he will accomplish everything he said he will accomplish and is not about my new house or my new car or my clothes or me getting some answer to some prayer because I named it and I claimed it. My friends, it's not what Paul is saying. Now, it is absolutely true, Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. But if we're focused on these material things, we're missing the bigger point, that faith is not a magic formula to blessing. Faith is trusting in Jesus. And listen to the rest of this, for the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 
There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Then how will they call on them in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. However, they, Paul says, speaking of Israel, they did not all heed the good news. They did not all choose life and good. Many would choose evil and death. They did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Isaiah 53, verse 1. And then Paul says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word Christ. Simple. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So much has been made of the Rima. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. The Rima is the Greek word for the spoken word. The Rima. So it's, and it's a, big, it's a big word in the whole name it, claim it bunch. The Rima. Faith, faith comes, I just gotta, I gotta speak of the spoken word, and that's, that's the most important. And some actually elevate in this language, they elevate the Rima, the spoken word, above the word of God, the written word, which is the grapho. When you see the word scriptures in the New Testament, that's grapho graphically written down. Some will elevate this idea of the rima, the spoken word, even above the logos, which is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, the word, enfleshed. There is no word higher than Jesus. There is no word greater than Jesus himself. And that's the point. And that's what Paul is getting at simply here. And that is, speak that word. Speak that name. And it will bring and mature faith. Our focus on Jesus. Jesus, the word. Again, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And it's literally the word that is about Christ. The word that is of Christ. That faith comes into the heart as the word of Christ is spoken and heard. Simply put, speak the gospel and faith will come. It's the good news of Jesus. He came into this world because he is not far from anyone. The most corrupt, lost, messed up person is but a breath away from salvation in Jesus Christ. All it takes, speak the word. Speak the name. Speak Jesus. This is what led Paul's feet over the mountains of Turkey and into every synagogue in Asia and to the Greek Acropolis and up onto Mars Hill and even to the school of Tyrannus. This is what led Paul all over the place and right into the hills of Rome. The word of Christ, the word about Christ, the gospel of Christ. You want to talk about a great faith. Why was Paul's faith so awesome, so great? Because all he did was speak about Jesus. And the more he spoke about Jesus, the more confident he was to do every and anything that he had to do for Jesus. It marked his entire life because the message of Christ was ever on his lips. 
Listen, Christians especially understand this. It's, it's not only that the word that Paul preached saved people. It's not only that you can be saved by accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ spoken to you by receiving that into your heart. Hey, the word kept Paul going as he spoke it. Having a hard time? Speak the word. Struggling in this life? Speak the word. It will keep you going when nothing else will. That's where the, the power is, the simplicity of all of this. Every time Paul spoke the word, he heard the word. <laughs> Can't get away from that. And his simple faith grew massively, and the same thing will work with you. Let me finish with this. For all of these things and the simplicity of it, man, it's just, it's just right back to the gospel. All that I've said this morning, we can boil it down to about a 30-second you know, conversation. It's all about the gospel, the simplicity of the word of God. Jesus came into this world because we couldn't get to him. He came to us. He lived a life to show us what God was like. And then he was crucified, taking on himself our sin, our failure. And he died and he was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, which is the proof of all of this that you and I might have eternal life in him by trusting in him. It's that simple story. But maybe some feel distant. Some of you feel far off or, I don't know, it's just too difficult to get back. I, I have this conversation far more often than, than I would like to. I've been away from the Lord for so long I just don't know. I don't know if I can get back. My first answer, by the way, if, if someone says, I don't know if I can get back, I say, now nah, you probably can't. Let them sit on that for a minute. <laughs> and then say, no, you're right. You probably can't get back. So good that he came to you. It's so wonderful that he's right here. That he is so close. In the mid-1700s, a wild young man came to faith in Jesus through the preaching of George Whitfield. George Whitfield, very famous uh, preacher in that day. And this young man's name was Robert Robinson. I mentioned him on Wednesday night. At the age of 23, he wrote that beautiful hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. So this wildlife hears the preaching of the gospel and begins to speak in himself. The word gets into his heart and he gets saved. And he wrote Come Thou Fount as a per very personal song of thanksgiving to Jesus for saving him from all of his sin. The sad part of this story is that Robert Robinson fell away. He wrote the hymn. He was actually a worship leader for a time, a, a pastor for a time, fell away, believing that he could not return to the Lord. That's the sad thing that too many Christians have experienced. They fall away. I don't have that feeling like I had at the first. I'm not as jazzed up as I was at the first. I've got too much in my life. What I've done, actually, is I've chosen death and evil. And that tends to infect and, and make me just, I just don't even have the energy to get back. Well, one day, Robinson, who, by the way, interesting in all this, remained a pastor his whole life. Huh? Yeah. He continued to pastor, but by his own heart, his own admission fell away. He continued in the job, 
but he struggled in his heart until this happened. One day he was riding in a coach next to a young woman who was reading a book. She didn't know who he was or who other pe the other people in the stagecoach were, but she suddenly spoke to everybody in the, in the cabin saying, oh, oh, listen to the stanza of the song that, that I'm singing, that I'm reading here. Listen to this. It's beautiful. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And Robinson, with tears welling up in his eyes, said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy soul that wrote those words many years ago, and I would give 10,000 worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I once had. It's said that she paused and replied to him, saying, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. I don't know how Robert Robinson's story ends beyond that. I've told you all I know. I tried to research it and find out more. That's about all we have. So did his heart turn again? What happened with him? I don't know. God knows. But here's the thing. God knows that we are all prone to wander. That's, that's the nature. That's why the choosing of good, you'd think, was so simple, so easy. It's why we tend to do this and choose the evil. And, and by the way, I'm not saying all of you on the right are evil here. <laughs> prone to wander I, I just I do that I do this wandering thing my heart wanders my mind wanders God knows that and so the end of this section of Deuteronomy it is not a, a, a guilt tripping tirade of a tired old man Moses going and then he goes and dies well, thanks for that, Moses. No, it is a passionate prophetic warning of what is ahead for Israel. All that he's saying, he's not saying to make them feel bad. He's saying, don't go this way. Don't choose death. Don't choose evil. It is so simple. Just choose life. Moses' heart is as much for this people right here as it was 80 years earlier when he went to deliver them. Or 40 years. Yeah, 40 years earlier. As it was 40 years before that when he fought to protect one of his own. Moses' heart is for this people, but he knows what they're going to choose. How does, he, how does he know? By the Spirit of God. God has told Moses over and over and over. We'll see this again on Wednesday night. He told Moses, this people are going to reject me. After all that we're giving them, they are going to reject me. This is what is going to happen. I hear this woman's words in the coach flowing over all the top of this. Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. Wow. 2021 and the streams of mercy are still flowing. That's grace. That is the abundant grace of God. God anticipating our proneness to wander. And in light of this, well, with Israel, he anticipated their proneness to wander and he looked beyond it to their restoration. That's what his eye is on. And the same is true of you and of me. He sees us in our proneness to wander, but he looks beyond that to the day of our restoration. Streams of mercy are still flowing. He has done that for us. Are you prone to wander? Have you fallen back? Listen again. The word is very near you. In your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. Know what that means? That means Jesus is calling you right now. This morning, he's speaking a word to you. 
He's calling you to himself. The word is a prayer away. That's how close Jesus is. It may seem too difficult for you. Maybe it seems out of reach. But again, it's simple. Speak the name of Jesus. For at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, 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 we acknowledge you again this morning as present, as with us, and as desirous of every heart, every heart, Lord. Father, there's not a person in the room this morning, not a person listening in from home to whom you are not calling. Every one of us, from those who are most intimate with you to those who feel the most distant. Oh, Jesus, call us. Lord, to the fearful, give, give hope. And to the weak, give your strength. Father, to the discouraged, give the encouragement of your spirit. To the lost, we pray for salvation. To the wandering, we pray for the way home. And we ask, Jesus, that you would have your way with us, your perfect and amazing grace be poured out on us. As we so often pray, not because we deserve it, but because of who you are and because you have promised it. We are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, I ask that I just invite you, pray this with me right now. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. I believe, Jesus Christ, that you are Lord, and I believe that you died for me, and I believe that you rose from the dead, and I'm handing you my life right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.